everyone. Thank you for tuning into Geek Down, the podcast where two geeks sit down and try and discover where their fandoms intersect. My name is Caitlin McKinnon. My name is Jordan Ferguson. And we've got to episode 14. Episode 14. Caitlin. Yes. I'm so tired. You say that a lot. It's like you're trying to fit this in into a really crazy <laughs> schedule or something. So <laughs> after after like three weeks of not seeing each other, this is now like the second time in like five days that yeah. we've seen each other because normally we record on Sundays. Caitlin can't record on Sunday. I have a wedding to go to on Saturday, so I can't record on Saturday. So we are trying to record this on Friday in between my work schedule and like I work nights. So normally I just go completely off the grid and turn into like a human sloth covered in Dorito dust and <laughs> Coke Zero stains. <laughs> what is a human sloth? It means I go to work. I get home at like eight. I plop down in my chair and just and I don't like I don't go out. Some people try to be like productive when they're on nights. So it's like I really need to make the most of my time and try to have a normal life. I just totally like wash my hands of that and like while I'm working, it's just like I don't exist. Huh. So the fact that I am up and awake, essentially in my pajamas, it's pretty amazing. I basically woke up half an hour before Caitlin was supposed to get here. Uh, swept the floor, shoveled some raisin bran in my face, and now I'm here, friends. Wait, you have coffee though, and I that's do have coffee. really all that matters. God bless your heart, Caitlin McKinnon, for bringing me this. <laughs> stein of coffee <laughs> you did say all the coffee i didn't say please bring all the coffee and she did and i deliver this is probably going to mean i won't get back to sleep after we finish recording today <laughs> but meh. sorry about that it's full all for you friends it's true all to bring you your precious content and uh, speaking of which, apparently a lot of people have told me not to downplay how important the news portion of the show is. We downplay the portion of the news? Well, yeah, because every time we have, we, we do our news. Oh, we always then, say the second half is why people are here. Yeah, right? but apparently a lot of people like sort of the, we pull the important things from the geek news in we small tidbits. pull the signal from the noise, really highlight, uh, highlight the things that, that matter to you, friends. Apparently. It's really just the stuff we're interested in, and we're happy you're interested in it as well. I think they just like listening to us bitch about shit. <laughs> probably. Well, probably. It's probably stuff they want to wanna bitch about, too. Well, then, uh, there are many ways you can listen to this show and hear us bitch and complain and pull out the signal from the noise for you. SoundCloud.com slash GeekDownPod. You can listen to us there. Follow us. You will get a notification every time a new episode goes online as well. iTunes. Subscribe. Search for us, top right corner, geek down, we come up, hit subscribe. All you have to do. That seems really easy. Literally, you push a button and then new episodes, download it to your device as soon as they go live on Tuesday morning, noon. Morning, noon. Morning, noon. Yeah. <laughs> Sometime on Tuesday. Um, what about the Facebook page? Oh, God. See, that's how you know I'm sleepy. I forgot the most important part. Facebook.com slash Facebook.com slash geek down pod is where we chat with you. We post fun little things. It's where you can comment on what you think of the show, if you're liking it or disliking it. Um, and we have friends who post funny things and wonderful things on the Facebook page. We do. Did you want to call one of those out? I did. It is the uh, webpage, has DC done something stupid today.com. And that was from Kaim Dar, and I think it was specifically for me. Yes. And basically, it will let you know if... The last time, basically, DC has done something stupid. I basically think they're counting every day they don't address the Eddie Berganza situation we talked about last week as doing something stupid. Yes. So in the, like, how many days has it been since DC did something stupid counter, we are perpetually at zero. Yes. So, and I think I think that's that's justified. Unlike DC, 
Marvel has put out basically, um, uh, what was it, like a short? Uh, It was one of those statements that's like, we acknowledge your concerns, but we don't care. (laughs) Not even that we don't care, but it's like. Nothing's going to change, but we acknowledge your concerns, which is, you know, it was about the Tilda still more than DC ever does. It, it was about Tilda Swinton being cast as the is it the great old one or the ancient old the, one? <laughs> I like the ancient old one. Ancient seems, old one seems kind of redundant. Know. Well, it, <laughs> the ancient. Come one. on, it's from old comic book <laughs> history. There's a lot of stuff in there that uh, is Sorry. ridiculous. Sidebar: My new favorite thing because I had remember uh, how we put Jack Kirby on blast for a couple weeks. Yeah, people I encounter in my life. Shut up, Matt. You know Matt got punched. Matt did get punched in the face by like a random drunk. I hope he's telling everyone that story. (laughs) I would tell everyone that story. Has done nothing to make him seem like more of a badass. (laughs) Walking around with a big old shiner. (laughs) Still the same old stupid Matt. God bless you. Um, So I've taken to doing something I call Kirbying for Matt. Which is where you hit that classic Jack Kirby pose where you kind of squat. And you put one like your your left arm in a fist bend at the elbow. And then the other arm kind of points because that's what everybody on a Jack Kirby cover does. I'm doing it right now, friends. I'm totally Kirbying on the pod right now. Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to squat and Captain America's like pointing, uh, go Avengers. It's like the classic Jack Kirby pose. Right. So every time Matt wants to talk about how Jack Kirby holds up, I just Kirby in front of him. And it's like, it's not all like that. Shut up, Matt. Anyway, the ancient one. The ancient one. And, and a lot of people were upset because the ancient one was a Tibetan old man yes and they have cast Tilda Swinton who is neither Tibetan nor an old man well we're not sure uh but the last one but a lot of people were upset that they thought it was uh whitewashing and Marvel came out and said that they had their reasons and gave a list of them and even though it might not be the best reasons at least they've put something out there whereas DC has still remained silent basically on on everything forever that's just DC Yes, uh, basically Marvel is saying uh, the title of the Ancient One has never been limited to one specific character. It is a title that has been passed down, and in this case, it was passed down to a Celtic character, hence Tilda Swinton. Uh, Scuttlebutt, unconfirmed sources on some reports, are saying that it actually has just as much to do with the fact that uh, Christian Bale Batman got ninja trained by Tibetans in Batman Begins, and they didn't want similarities to that. So, who knows? Who knows? Acknowledgement is a step above nothing, so partial credit, Marvel. And um, in other Marvel-y news, Marvel-y. Marvel-y, since we're there anyways, um, there's going to be a Punisher spinoff. Confirmed? Yeah, confirmed. I did not know this. Now, it is going to take a while, because they've got Luke Cage, <laughs> a million other Iron Fist, Defenders, and season two of Jessica Jones to get through. So there is a second season of Jessica Jones. Yes. You were not paying attention. No. Yeah. No, that came out a while ago. So, you know, it's it's good, I guess. I'm surprised a little bit. I mean, he was a highlight of of the of Daredevil this season, but I am still a little bit surprised that they they gave him his entirely own show. Did you ever end up finishing Daredevil? Uh, have I haven't finished it yet. <laughs> haven't finished it? I got sidetracked. <laughs> By Disney World. By Disney World and um, season three of, uh, let's see, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I got it. Came out. (laughs) (laughs) It did. Super fast. Like, I had been watching it semi-week to week. I would get caught up every few episodes. And then, yeah, I went on Netflix and it was like new episodes. And I'm like, what? Was I actually watching season four and I missed a season? And then I was like, oh, no. Like, the day after it finished, 
broadcasting, it was on Netflix. Like, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. And um, I only ever watch things on Netflix. Uh, so if it's not on Netflix, I'm probably not going to watch it. Um, and I love Brooklyn Nine-Nine. It's one of the only shows that actually makes me laugh out loud. So I, I kind of was like, screw it. I'm watching. I'm watching this. Did you see the episode where they get mumps yet? I just rewatched that <gasps> one yesterday. No, I haven't. That'll, that'll be a good one. Oh, excellent. Holt and Jake get the mumps in our quarantine together. <gasps> Amazing. And go delirious on cough syrup. It's fantastic. That is fantastic. Look, Caitlin McKinnon with the hot takes. This is like five. This story is like five hours old. Yeah. Caitlin McKinnon is up on it. Uh, Yeah. And it is not coming for a while. No. No. They've got a lot to get through. Um, and like I said, I am surprised that they gave him his entirely own show. Again, he was a highlight of the season, but he worked really well with the other characters. I l- think he worked really well as a side character. Mm, you don't think so, he's got the chops to a, uh, hold may- up or sustain a solo show? Maybe. Possibly. Um, but If the comics tell us anything... I don't know. The comics are always really niche. Like At one point, he kind of, as a character, had to be like taken off the board. So I think we've talked before. Have we ever talked about the Marvel Max? No. Which was like their their mature readers line. No. That's where Alias or Je- that's where Jessica Jones originated from. It was a comic oh, called Alias, okay, which yeah. was one of the flagship Marvel Max books. Which is where you could have cussing and fucking and all the other stuff that makes life wonderful. And Garth Ennis uh, of Preacher fame had been given the Punisher initially and had a very tongue in cheek kind of satirical take on the character. And then they were like, well, you can go Marvel Max with it. And they kind of took Punisher off the board and Garth Ennis just went crazy hardcore like crime stories like what we know from like the Daredevil show. That's kind of the only way I feel that he's worked as a character. Like he's got to, So maybe that maybe it will work with Netflix because we've certainly seen in Daredevil they are not afraid to shy away from gore no i mean i like i said it could be great i just feel that there's a lot like it especially with the television shows right now um they have done have shown that they've been able to do dark and gritty in different ways uh, different shades you could say of dark and gritty uh who knew there were so many um but i just feel like it's you know the reason punisher worked in in daredevil is because they there there's a sort of similar tone to the stories mm-hmm. um Again, I could be totally wrong. They could totally do an amazing job, and uh, it's going to blow my mind. I'm just surprised that they didn't want to do something very different than what they've already got. And I almost spoiled a million things for you for the end of Daredevil, so shouts to my groggy brain for not saying it. (laughs) And just saying they do set some things up with that character specifically that aren't related to the larger Daredevil piece by the end of season two of Daredevil. So that is likely the route they would go down. His his quest for revenge gets a lot more focused. Like, he knows who's responsible. So um, they may go down that route. Who knows? It'll be interesting to see. Yeah, and I do like the universe they're setting up with all these. Um, I find it really fascinating, and it's a nice um, breath away from the cinematic, like the, the movies, because yes. they're so big, right? I like it when they do things a little bit smaller speaking of television series yeah if there's one hot topic of the week it's the return of tits and dragons also known as game of thrones game of thrones right. which caitlin is not watching no but jordan is i i i can sort of watch it through 
the periphery, like all the news <laughs> stories and all the through comments the, the, and the write-ups and the recaps and all that that yeah. business. Yeah, it the uh, season six premiere debuted on Sunday, uh, this past Sunday. Yeah. I know some things. I don't know. I guess spoiler warning for, or should we? Spoiler warning, maybe about season five of Game of Thrones. The thing is, like, it's a premiere. And at the premiere, you have to check in on everyone just to, like, touch base with every character. And there are 752 characters on this show. So it's like. (laughs) Sorry. It's such an exact note. 752 exactly. I'm I'm exaggerating. It's like 743. Um. (laughs) Here's your two minutes with Danny and where you left off with her. And here's your two minutes with Tyrion. And here's your two minutes with Jaime and Cersei. And here's your three minutes in Dorne. So what I didn't know and we stumbled sort of upon was that Danny and Tyrion met last season. Yes. Those that in one of the most more exciting moments of because this has not happened in the books yet. Uh, No. No. As as far as I can remember. They tweaked this. The books were moving towards that. Tyrion was heading toward Essos and yeah in like the couple the last two episodes of season five I think this happened in the books kind of similar as well Jorah finds Tyrion kidnaps him and brings him to Danny as a like peace offering like to right. get back in her good graces and Varys kind of uh vouches for him and as a test Danny like consults Tyrion on what to do about Jorah right and she likes his answer enough that she kind of like keeps him around and then shit hits the fan and Tyrion and Varys are left in Marine and Danny is has gone bye-bye for reasons huh dragon related um I might have to just find that clip on YouTube because <laughs> you want it to happen in the book so badly honestly listen it's it's because now so the scene where she is spoiler 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 spoilers for like another five minutes the scene where she's rescued by Drogon, which yeah. I think happens at the end of Dance of Dragons, mm-hmm. Tyrion is there for it in the show. So, like, to see someone from Westeros encounter the larger shit that, like, has only been, like, spoken of in whispers, like, right. oh my god, dragons are real. Like, <laughs> the look of wonder on Peter Dinklage's face when, like, this giant beast flies into the Colosseum or whatever yeah. is, like, you're like, woo! <laughs> um... Yeah, but then it's like, it's the equivalent of like when your favorite character dies. It's like, hey, hope you enjoyed that three minutes because now they're all getting separated again. That's that's sad. Yeah, so the only real uh, takeaway from the premiere, we almost made it through the episode with no tits. Oh, really? There were no tits until like the last <gasps> like three minutes. And then Melisandre gets naked and takes her like... Oh, ru- wait, I heard about this. Takes her ruby necklace off and she is like... A three hundred year old crone. Yeah, actually, she's been glamoring everybody to look to look young and hot. Yeah, and so not only did you see tits at the end of the episode, you saw old lady grandma tits. Right, nice. Which, is, which has been a that's the second time that's come up on this podcast. Really, <laughs> came up with misfits. Oh yeah, old lady tits and misfits. Yeah, people really, I guess. You <laughs> Man, know. the geek down. You're your one stop <laughs> source for elderly breasts. It's got to be someone. So, listen, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well be us. Listen, the grandmas want to get their tits out too. We're here for you, grandmas. We love you. Yeah. Get your tits out. Ah, uh, yeah. That was the big takeaway. Jon Snow's still dead. Still haven't seen Bran. Still never miss Bran. <laughs> oh, poor Bran. Bran's never around and I never care. Poor Bran. I always really liked Bran. Yeah, he was just gone all season five. 
Yeah, because he's training to be like the master crow. Yeah, but they just didn't like even like stop in in like, in, like the whole <laughs> season. You did not see Bran, and then like maybe by episode eight, you're like, damn, I Bran ain't even been here, and I didn't even notice. Yeah, poor Bran. Uh, and the other news that's kind of come on the heels of the premiere is that they have announced that season eight will be the last, I think, and season seven and eight might have shorter seasons or yeah, shorter episode counts. Oh, they, really? They normally go ten. Yeah. I think they're going. I think they said maybe seven. Oh, really? Yeah. So that's interesting. Fast and Furious towards the end of the end of this thing. Who knows how the hell that's going to happen? But that's really weird. Could be a money thing. This is the most. It makes dump trucks of money for HBO, but it also costs HBO dump trucks of money. It's like the most expensive show in the history of TV ever. Yeah. To their credit, they have it down to a finely oiled machine with like fifteen sets around the world, like running simultaneously. Mm-hmm. It's a fascinating look at how TV can be done, but I can understand. I, I'm not surprised that they're wanting to, I guess, change the format a little bit, but it's just worked so well up to now that I I feel like I they shouldn't fiddle with it. And, you know, there could be a million other things. There could be, like, if they go any longer, are there contract negotiations that have to happen? Did actors sign on for X amount of years? Right. And if they go longer than that, then they have to renegotiate. And people are going to want more money because the show's been such a huge success and they can leverage that. You know, Peter Dinklage wants $47 million per episode. They <laughs> They're going to give it to him. They have to give it to him at this point. So maybe they want to, maybe they want to dodge that uh, scenario. I'd give the money to Peter Dinklage. I'd give that money to Peter Dinklage just for being Peter Dinklage. He just deserves it. Yeah. If I had $47 million, Peter Dinklage could have it. I don't, so you can't. So yeah, we are we are back. We are running with Game of Thrones. Should be should be a good season. If you're playing the if you're playing the over-under on Jon Snow's uh resurrection and you had episode one, sorry. You've, you've, lost. Lo- you've lost the pot. Fingers crossed for episode two. And also, oh. Davos, my dude. I fucking love Davos. Everyone loves Davos. Everyone loves Davos. Davos is my fucking you the real MVP Davos. <laughs> Um, and, uh, just, uh, bringing it over to other shows that have gone on for a long time and make lots of money. <laughs> Doctor Who! Doctor Who! You made a promise! I made a promise. To the people. Yeah. That you were, you know, like, the whole reason you were here was to be the, the Doctor Who oracle. Well. For this show. I hope that's not the only reason they wanted me here for that. <laughs> no, your smiling face is the other reason. Uh, um, um, okay, well, I What do I you mean, got? I, unfortunately, none of it's super new. A lot of people have heard about that there will be a new companion. I hadn't heard that. You hadn't? No, I didn't. I mean, why would I? I don't, I don't follow Doctor Who news religiously. I, I guess not. It's been, it's been around for a couple of weeks. Um, this is always a big deal, isn't it, when new companions get announced? Yeah, it's not. I mean, it's is a very familiar thing to happen. You know, you get a new Doctor, you get new companions. For the people who don't know, explain the dynamic of the companions and why it's important. Um, the companions are basically the uh, gateway into the world. So they are the people who are like... You know, they wonder about things and they don't know about stuff. So things can be explained to them and they give the doctor... Exposition machines for the viewer, basically. Yes, and they give the doctor um, something to bounce off of. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, the doctor alone is not great, but the doctor with a companion is fantastic. Um, So the old companion, they've she's already gone. Clara? Jenna Coleman? Oh, oh, Clara Oswald. That's the, the name character. of the character. Okay. Yes. She's already um, left the show. I'm Vamoosed. not going to say how. Um, but And the new 
companion, who's apparently named Bill, is going to be played by Pearl Mackey, who is a sort of a newcomer to the the the, the TV the TV world. <laughs> um, I don't know her. I've I've seen her. Um, she's the I'm gonna I can't I can't even remember how many years it's been. Um, she is the first companion um, since the companion in 2008 to be of color, which is nice. Yeah, one of Tennant's companions was. Um, yes. Was a black woman. Yes, yes. Martha. Martha. Yes, Martha. that was right. And uh, which is nice. I that was the first post Rose companion, right? Yeah, it was. See, I, I know. Oh my do- gosh, you I know, know Doctor stuff. Who. Listen, I tried before I decided I hated it. <laughs> well, at least you tried. <laughs> That's all we can ask, Jordan. So the best thing about having a new companion in is the new dynamic it lends. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am. I'm always curious to see how they're going to work with the Doctor. And uh, this is actually this companion is this dynamic of this doctor and this companion is actually the last um, Doctor Who season, which will air in 2017, that is being done by Moffat. Oh, Moffat is leaving. Yes, apparently. And Chris Chibnall is taking over. Sure. Um, I don't know who Chris Chibnall is. I do know who Moffat is. I'm okay with some of the stuff he's done with Doctor Who, but also some of the stuff I don't like. I only, like... How's your feeling on Capaldi been? You haven't seen Capaldi yet because it hasn't. Yeah, been- I have seen you Capaldi. Um, just from you know being friend Facebook friends with people who are very passionate about Doctor Who, people seem to feel uneven about Capaldi's tenure. I not Capaldi himself necessarily, but I like Capaldi. He reminds me of the old Doctors, mm-hmm. um, which is what I watched a long, long time ago. Yes, and so it gives me nice feelings of that he's not very nice and that's how i feel like the doctor should be yes before they were hairless dream boats the uh many, many doctors <laughs> were like old men yeah they were uh and they u- usually were very mean to people and i i really <laughs> like that for some reason um so that it kind of reminds me of that yeah i i don't know i doctor who's one of those things i have mixed feelings about because i, I feel like the shows are very uneven one one episode I'll absolutely adore, and another one I'll just feel meh about. I really didn't for the Doctor themselves, or just like episodes. Just episodes. Mm. Um, I feel like all the Doctors they've had uh, have been great actors, um, and they've all lent something different to the Doctor. So I don't know. I I I, and I especially know that when Capaldi first came on over, I mean, this always happens, right? Uh, Tennant took over and then of course there was Matt Smith and people were like oh Matt Smith will never be as good as Tennant and then you know all of a sudden everyone loves Matt Smith and then Matt Smith is leaving and people are like oh Capaldi is never going to be as great as Matt Smith but you know so there's there is that it happens a lot and it takes some people time to get used to them and so yeah I know people who were who hated Capaldi when he first came and now absolutely adore him but you know it's part of Doctor Who I think um, Side note to Moffat stuff, Sherlock season four has been all but confirmed for this year at Christmas. I, okay. Oh, dear. So, Whoa, Jesus, this what, is... did, what did I do? I'm riffing here. I just threw something that we hadn't pre-planned, <laughs> and now she's going off the dome. I'm excited. <laughs> so, I am a really big literature fan, and I am a really big... Are you about to fire shots at Sherlock? I... Crap. <laughs> I am. Oh, man. Friends, I'm just gonna... I'm just gonna... I was gonna shut my mic off, fans, and let he her, he just turned off the mic. It's not go. gonna be that long. It's just basically that I don't particularly like some of the stuff they did 
in the second season of Sherlock. And since then, I haven't watched. So you can put terrible things on the Facebook page. I don't even care. I just, I, he, he's a British name, hard to say, otherwise known as Boodle Snoop Cribbage. <laughs> Benedict Cumberbatch. I, he's not the greatest Sherlock there ever was. So I think people, I think people haven't seen other Sherlock, so they don't know. Um, I will fight you uh, about this. Who, who's the best Sherlock? Um, Prove your mettle. Are you being a Holmes hipster? No. You sound like you're being a Holmes hipster. I'm not. You sound like you're being like everybody likes Cumberbatch, and I'm salty. No, no, no. What it was? This is just straight up. So I really love Sherlock Holmes. I was I've seen a lot of like I loved what they did with um, Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock. Mm-hmm. It was not old Sher- old Sherlock Holmes, but it was a fun. Both of those movies were a lot of fun. I actually really liked them. Do not take away Irene Adler from me. They made Irene Adler, they totally changed what she was, which was this brilliant, independent woman, to a tool of Moriarty. Oh yeah, she shows up for like two episodes. And the only reason why she can basically fool Sherlock is because basically Moriarty is telling her how. And that is so infuriating. And that's what set it off. It's the classic Moffat sexism, which actually comes up a lot in different things. I didn't know it was classic. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. It just just type in into Google classic Moffat, Moffat sexism, and you'll just see a list of like another classic Moffat sexism moment brought to you by Moffat. You know, and that's what started it. And I just, it's the same thing with Game of Thrones. I just got to a point where I was like, Ugh, I don't, I don't want to. And the problem is, is I actually really love Benedict Cumberbatch. And I really love, what's his name, you know, office guy. Martin Freeman. Martin Freeman. I love Martin Freeman. He's fantastic. He's a brilliant actor. um, And I love him doing his sort of like everyman comedy shtick Mm. as Watson. I thought it was a great dynamic. I just wanted Irene Adler to be better. um, And they kind of ruined Irene Adler. So back to best Sherlock Holmes of all time. Yes. Uh, Jeremy Brett, for sure. Sure. Absolutely best Sherlock Holmes. Jeremy Brett, at near the end of his run of Sherlock Holmes, was... So Sherlock Holmes is starting to do uh, more and more cocaine and heroin in the books. So, sorry, did you want to contextualize this? What what oh. when, what series, what network? Uh, BBC, what year? 1980s, early 1990s. Like he did a whole bunch of episodes Mm -hmm. for many many years yes and he's just absolutely the best Sherlock Holmes um so near the end uh where he's supposed to be becoming more and more addicted to cocaine and and everything he he was dying actually Jeremy Brett Mm. and he was still doing these episodes there's just such a he brings such a intensity to Sherlock that can never be outdone and part of that I think is because he has this this sickliness to him um but still this this drive to to solve mysteries so yeah well there you go stands if you're if you're fiending for a holmes fix maybe we check out jeremy brett as if, as recommended by caitlin McGinnis. really he's the he's the best but a lot of people like sherlock holmes i don't think because he solves mysteries i think it's because he's brilliant and good looking <laughs> does that make sense are you including Jeremy Brett in that equation, or are you just no. just Cumberbit? Cumber, bit, 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 bit. 
Cumberbatch and what's who's the other one f- uh, who is with Lucy Liu? Um, oh, Johnny Lee Miller. Yeah. Also Ange- Angelina's ex-husband. Oh my God, was he married to Angelina Jolie? He was. From they, Hackers? Did they meet? That's where a- they <gasps> met and they got married. You're kidding. No. How did I not know this? Because you were a child in the 90s <laughs> and why would you have been paying attention? Because I, I love that movie. <laughs> Loved that movie. Uh, yeah, they were married for a for a hot minute, uh, <laughs> whole hot minute, whole hot minute. Like and like divorced before train spotting. I think like. Oh, I love also love that movie, but we just spoke about Angelina Jolie. Whoa, uh, unintentional segue. Yeah, good for spotting that, Caitlin. Yeah, which will move us on to one of her well known movies, Tomb Raider. Tomb Raider. And will move us on to the fact that there is going to be a new Tomb Raider movie. Yes, new new actress. Yes, her name is Al- Alicia Vikander. Alicia Vikander. Yes, who is the actress from Ex Machina? She plays the robot. Beep right. Boop, beep, boop, boop. That's my that's robot gonna come. Sound. That's gonna come up later too. Oh, is it about a detail I noticed in the thing you told me to watch that oh. I was surprised by? Okay, um, but I'm really excited because <laughs> I'm a late comer to Tomb Raider. So I've never, I didn't play the old games and I haven't seen the Angelina Jolie movies, but what I have done is I have played the 2013 Tomb Raider. Oh, what was that one called? Uh, it was called Tomb Raider. <laughs> <laughs> was there one something of light? Wasn't there a bunch yeah, of there, Okay. So I played the 2013 Tomb Raider, which was amazing i absolutely adored that video game i had so much fun playing it and then they had well before that in 2010 they had lara croft guardian of light right that's what i was thinking or lara croft uh sorry guardian of light which i've also played which is also a lot of fun um it's you're basically a two you can do a two player and it's tons and tons of fun um so they had that and then they had a really weird thing where they had a follow-up to the 2010 game in 2014 which was Lara Croft and the Tomb of Osiris sure and then they had an a follow-up to the 2013 game in 2015 which was uh Rise of the Tomb Raider does that make any sense no okay um I'm out (laughs) it's all done by Crystal Dynamics yes this is basically the the you know Tomb Raider is the big thing that they've been working on and they've put out all these games and they're all apparently very good I'm really excited to play uh, Rise of the Tomb Raider um, and uh, so I've become this big fan of Lara Croft and I'm really hoping that they don't screw it up as usual with female heroines I'm just real really hoping they don't screw it up so, I mean I'm not I don't know the original Angelina Jolie movies inside and out but I mean I don't think they boofed it too hard like i think the standard set with those was pretty decent. they just did such a good like, i'm job. sure they found some reason to like have her come out of a bathtub or something at some <laughs> point but well they they just did such a good job on the video games that that's I, I find it really exciting the fact that we could get a really good movie out of this hopefully yeah fingers crossed so yeah that's that's basically I think the end of the news. Is, is that it? it for news? I think so. I think that's all I got. I feel like we got a we got a meaty second segment today though, so I'm 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 excited to get into it. Okay. On that note, we will take a break here and when we return, we will get into the portion of the show that apparently some of y'all like just as much as the first half as of the, the show. News. If not less. 
<laughs> really, you're just all going to tune out now, aren't you? Yeah, no, no, yeah. no, you won't. You'd love it. We're bringing you, bringing you gems, people. And uh, if you want me to explain that whole Tomb Raider game thing, just let me know and I'll put it on Facebook. <laughs> she'll, she'll make a flowchart for you and <laughs> yeah. put it on Facebook. Uh, when we come back, we will get into the portion of the show where Caitlin and I discuss the things we brought each other that we would not have seen otherwise to see if we enjoyed it or not. So please stick around for that. We'll be back in one moment. I'll see you soon. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the show, the portion where the music you just heard is where advertisements would go. I don't want to talk about it. We won't talk about it. God, just for reasons y'all don't even understand, some advertising revenue would be nice. Yeah, it'd be pretty good. I'd like to have sandwich money. Oh, my God. I was just about to say that. It's like, we don't have sandwich money. Trying to get that sandwich money. Subway, you're hurting for a <laughs> spokesperson. Oh, God. Get at us. No. Just, no. Just pay us in sandwiches. Also, no. Also, Subway sandwiches, their bread tastes like paper. Yes. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one who knows this. It's wonderful. It's terrible. It's like A8 white bond wrapped around turkey slices. <laughs> it's fantastic. Um, uh. This is the portion of the show where we get into the heart of it, where Caitlin and I will each take something from our respective fandoms that we love and bring it to the other to investigate if there is any common ground to be found between our various fandoms. Before we get into that... Um, We have rules, but even before we get into that... Mm -hmm. So we say fandoms. Sometimes I just like things and I give it to you. It's It's not a fandom thing. But it falls. It's something you enjoy. Yeah. From a genre... Or style yeah. that you like. I just, I don't want to give people the wrong impression about the thing I brought you. But anyway, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> talk about that later. Uh, yeah, and before we get into it, shouts to Joycey Vogues for sending me an article uh, this week that kind of broke down that thing that Caitlin is always uh, good-naturedly, but really giving me shit for, which is the fact that uh, I just choose to learn about things I have never I'm into given them. you shit about it. It apparently makes me undateable. Um, I didn't say that. I know, I know. I didn't say you, I didn't say you were the one who said that. Joycey passed me this article that basically alleged... It was talking more in the sphere of like Tumblr v. Reddit fandoms, but the, the interesting point to be drawn there was that there are two types of fandom, which is one which is very knowledge-based and one which is more art and creative-based, and that there tends to be a gender split there, male and female, where dudes... And this is what the broadest strokes... I mean, I did think it was a pretty broad article... It was all opinion and conjecture. There's no yeah. data here. But I do think it holds up at least under a a soft scrutiny that, uh, yeah, a lot of dudes very much are about... This is the same reason with, like, sports minutia, right? Statistics. It's, like, it's all knowledge-based. And the more you know, the more... This is go back to when I was investigating, like, why I was such a collector. Like, it's very knowledge-based. The more you know, that's cultural capital in a certain group of people, and that has value to you. I believe they're called alpha nerds. Sure, I ain't that bad. But on the other side of things, a lot of fanfic and fan art and things of that sort tends to be done by women or transgender people or people who are not on the sexuality binary type of thing because 
they tend to want to make the things they like more in line with the people they are. So they have to change it through slash fic or fan art or things like that. And then there's, of course, then there's people like me. Which is what? I fall in neither of those categories. <laughs> no? No. Caitlin just likes shit. I just like stuff. I just like it. So we're going to talk about something she likes in a minute. First, we're going to talk about a thing that I like. Oh, but we have to do rules. But before we do that, oh, sorry. we will mention the rules. <laughs> I'm going to edit myself. Yeah, so the first rule is the rule of three. The rule of three. Which basically is we have to consume, read, watch, view um, three of whatever it is we've given the other person if it comes in episode or is episodic. Didn't really apply this week. No. But in general, that is what we try to adhere to. Rule number two. Rule number two is uh, no tipping of the hand. No tipping of the hand. Hashtag save it for the pod. Caitlin and I will not discuss the thing that we have watched, read, listened to. Which is, it's getting easier, but still can be hard from time to time. Uh, it was easier this week just because the turnaround time between episodes was so, was yes, so fast. Yes, true. Uh, I, I did have Facebook open. I was like. Uh, uh, just, just to make like a joke like it wasn't even like a like a criticism or like a, something i liked just, i just wanted to make a joke i was like no save it for the pod and uh the third rule spoilers uh we don't go out of our way of course to spoil things but we also don't go out of our way to not spoil things if it is relevant to the conversation we're not going to not talk about it for the sake of your precious sensibilities so um, at this point, if you have precious sensibilities, you <laughs> might want to go grab some tea, uh, maybe maybe a co- cookie or two. Get, get a sandwich if you've got sandwich money. Yeah, because we haven't got sandwich money. Um, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks for hanging. Yeah. Going to start this week first with the thing that I brought Caitlin because we like to alternate. Second swing at the Grant Morrison canon. Yep. After the shit show. <laughs> That was Wonder Woman Earth One. And I just want to say. Yes. Because I was listening back to the episode. Yeah. I don't disagree with anything you said. Yeah. Point wise. You did go on a bit of a tirade about how it was poorly written slash lazy slash whatever. That is the only thing I would call into question. Grant Morrison has never been lazy about anything. He clearly thought this out. Probably not thoughts he should have had or should have used. But there were thoughts that went behind I, I guess I guess lazy in that it used a lot of a lot of tropes. Um so I thought that was that was lazy. I'm just saying he had a plan. Might not have been a very good one, but he had a plan. I guess I anytime I feel that a, a writer um uses something that has been used lots before mm-hmm. or isn't um going out of their way to change something up that I think they have an opportunity to do, I, I find that lazy. So sort of having like a lover feel betrayed mm. um, is kind of, especially when you never show them being lovers, I think is is boring and, and overdone. Um, but there were just bits and pieces that I, I didn't think. I didn't think. I could see where your point comes from, though. Just listening back to the episode, I was like, I don't know if I can. <laughs> She's not wrong, but. So I just wanted to say that. Um, so this is if if um, Wonder Woman Earth One has been very divisive among uh, comics readers, the thing I gave Caitlin this week is pretty universally beloved. It is basically every idea on the Man of Steel that Grant Morrison ever had collaborating with 
probably the best artist he's ever collaborated with, Mr. Frank Quitely. This was All-Star Superman. This was a 12-issue miniseries done by Grant Morrison and Frank Quitely that came out in 2005. It was sort of resurrected from a pitch that Morrison had made in 1998 because Superman tends to get rebooted and his origin gets tweaked like every 15 years and 98 would have been. And that's just what they do. Isn't it like every five years? Now it is, yeah. (laughs) Oh, turnaround times. It's a a fast, the culture's faster now, Caitlin. Right. Um, But you know, they always fucking, they always tweak shit. You know, sometimes he knew Luther as a kid. Sometimes he met Luther as an adult. Sometimes, and sometimes he dated Lana Lane back in Smallville. Sometimes he didn't. Like, they always tweak shit like that. So Morrison had initially pitched this thing called Superman Now in 98. They were going to go with it. Then they backed out. Grant said peace, went and wrote X-Men for a few years uh, with Frank Whiteley. And then when he uh, kind of got bummed out with Marvel and went back to DC, he they gave him this uh, again. So this is the all-star line. They only got two series out. It was supposed to be, there's supposed to be three or four, I think. This was again their attempt to ultimatize the dcu right where this was supposed to be some of the best creators or like most well-known creators on their iconic characters with no real need for continuity knowledge yeah okay. like you could just kind of like hop in you didn't need to know okay everything about it only two ever ended up coming out all-star superman by morrison and quietly and all-star batman and robin which was by frank miller and jim lee and we don't like to talk about it Okay. Um, have you ever wondered where the phrase "I'm the goddamn Batman" came from? I I didn't, but <laughs> it's that. Okay. The first tipping point of of Frank going from satirical fascist to full on bat fascist, batchist. Bat fascist. Bat bat batchist. Bat, bat fascist. Bat fat. I've never. I oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> um, that's where it happened. Although it does have a wonderful moment where. Batman and Robin need to talk to the Green Lantern, and to keep him from using his ring, they lock him in a room that is completely yellow, and they paint themselves yellow, <laughs> and they like offer him lemonade. Like, <laughs> wow, that's what we were dealing with there. Not even Jim Lee can make that look good. Uh, that didn't even finish, but All Star Superman did. I think I read initially that this was like we said. Morrison very much looks at the DCU and the Justice League as a Greek pantheon. This was meant to be the 12 trials of Superman. Yes. It's basically, in the story, Superman, you, I have not read it for a while, Caitlin can fill this in, but he's dying for whatever reasons. I don't know if it's solar radiation or what it's, it is. Yeah, he, he's he's too, he's working to save people like they're at the sun, and so he gets basically overcharged right? yeah. by the sun. Overdosed on solar energy, so now he knows he's dying, and he's trying to... Fix as much about the world as he can. Do as much as he can in the time he has right. left, whether that is personal or larger. Caitlin McKinnon. Yeah. There are people who love this, who listen to our show. We could lose subscribers <laughs> if you go at this the way you went at Wonder Woman Earth 1. But I will never silence your opinion. Good. <laughs> I'll punch you. Just like Matt. (laughs) 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 He'd have the same reaction. (laughs) He's like, ow. 
Oh God, listeners, you should have been there. It was on. I've worked for a major Canadian retailer for a very long time. I've never seen anything like it. Um, oh, maybe as a bonus episode, maybe as an open format bonus episode. Once I'll, I'll have Matt tell the story. It was fantastic. But yes, it's much beloved. But I would never suggest that you lie to me. Don't ever lie to me, Caitlin. Even though I may, even though I may not even want to hear it on this one. <laughs> what did you think of All Star Superman? Um, you know how I'm always worried about getting hate mail. I might have to. I might get some hate mail over this. I think that maybe this comic book wasn't written for me. There were certain things I, I did like about it, um, and certain things I didn't. So, for one, there was a lot of, like, I don't know what's going on. Like you said, they sort of just hop right into a story, right? Yeah. uh, Structurally, this came out at a time where what they called decompression, the sort of Brian Michael Bendis style of comic writing, was very popular. Where, like, a single issue of a comic would have a lot of talking, some smashy-smashy for two pages, and then a cliffhanger. Yeah. Things will get spread out over a long time, which was great for characterization, but is not really how the comic art form was formed. And Graham Morrison is a student of it and wanted to kind of get back to that. So if decompression was the trend of the day, he deliberately made All-Star Superman super compressed. And like the thing I showed you when you left was the Superman origin is told in three panels. Which which that, see that kind of thing, and, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to read it, because you showed me the very beginning of the book, and I went, that's really cool. I like that. I like not having, we all know, like you said, we know the stories of Batman and Superman. Yeah, these are our myths at this point. We all know them. Yeah, so seeing that done, just being like, yeah, this is what we're working with, that was great. It meant I knew I wasn't reading Red Sun. Like, (laughs) I, you know, I I kind of, okay, so this is the world we're dealing with. He he lands in, in somewhere in the U.S. Got it. But there are characters and there were aspects of those characters that I didn't know what was going on. And I didn't think that the writing was always very clear, um, like his dialogue. Which is that Morrison thing. Sometimes he's just a runaway locomotive and either you're okay with just hanging on and being like, yeah, cool, shit can just whiz by me and that's fine. And yeah. sometimes it can be really irritating. Yeah. And um, I understand why it can be really irritating. And again, like, it's not, let's put it this way, this, though it, I'm sure it's it uh, for anyone who has read a lot, maybe... Okay, I'm not sure about this, but anyone who's read tons and tons of DC, I'm I can get the feeling that maybe they can sort of click into this re- really easily. For me, it wasn't a very welcome comic book. Really? Yeah, there were tons of stuff where I was like, "Who? What? Where?" <laughs> like I, the, he was using, and you had brought this up last week that Grant Morrison tries to take aspects of old stories mm. and work them into the new ones. Yes. Um, so there was like continuously stuff, just names of, of things mm. that I can be like, okay, I, it's probably from an old story um, from, you know, the 1960s or the 1970s, but I don't know what it is. And I have no idea how that impacts the story. So it's just, it's like talking to someone about a story of of literally a Greek god, but not explaining like what the Titans are, if that makes any sense. Yes. Um, also, the other thing besides the within the stories, um, there was, he was sort of throwing out 
things I didn't know about. There was also the fact that um, within the comic book, there were sort of three or four separate stories, and Mm. I didn't see how they were connected. Sorry, friends. I'm just looking through the hardcover now to (laughs) remind myself what happened, and I'm just like, oh, Frank Whiteley, I love you so much. The art is fantastic. Frank Whiteley is the best artist working today. Really? I believe so. I love him. Huh. I mean, I... Depends I, on his anchor. He's got an anchor named, named I think his name's, I was going to say Pete Townsend. Tim Townsend. <laughs> Not the guitarist for The Who. Tim Townsend. When Tim Townsend inks him, he looks flawless. When he inks himself, sometimes he can look a little scratchy. Uh, be that as it may. You may be right. I, to your surprise perhaps, did not deep dive this. Really? If I saw something I didn't know, like this whole foundation that he's working with, the dude with the technical, the scientist with yeah. the technical or dream coat there. Who like, is that? I don't know. I've never, and I've, I've consumed some DC, and of course I've watched a lot of the animated stuff. Now the animated stuff doesn't always go into really deep knowledge, mm-hmm. but I, I, some, a lot of the stuff I, I knew about. Um, that they were talking about, but a lot of it, I was, I, I was like, I know this is from a thing. I don't like Atlas. Like, I know who Atlas is as the, you know, mythos oh yeah, when Atlas. they show up, when they show up in that. Issue. But he just uh, is he a character? I didn't know he was a character from DC. Like, it just there were things that didn't really make sense. So yes, from a plot perspective, I'm trying to remember what happens. It's basically essentially single issues. Each story kind of wraps up. Yeah. There is the overarching, like he's dying and the things he's trying to do. Um, One issue involves, so as the things he's ticking off, one issue will be like, he wants to give Lois superpowers for a birthday. Which, okay. So the, we'll, we'll start with just, as an example, we'll start with, this is the first story in the book. Is this wanting to give Lois a birthday present? Yada, yada, yada. I didn't particularly think it was good storytelling. It was okay. Um, but I thought it could have been written a lot better. And the whole idea of Sam- Samson, who is also a character for people who don't know in the DC universe, I guess, um, and Atlas and Superman all fighting over Lois, mm-hmm. it was stupid. It was really stupid. And Lois being in danger and not being able to help herself. I know this is a story about Superman, but again, yet again, I thought that was stupid. She has superpowers. She's as powerful as Superman. Would this happen to Superman? Superman's also been using these powers for, you know, decades at this point. Uh, I guess. <laughs> Anyways, I just didn't think it was the they best. Got a kiss on the moon, Caitlin. <laughs> got the kiss on the moon. And then, and then he won't tell her that he's dying. No. <laughs> which won't. I also think is stupid. He he literally says, "I don't want her want to ruin her birthday." Oh come on, that is stupid. So yeah. Sorry, friends. I'm just pardon the pun marveling at this while I'm flipping through. He's literally reading it as I'm talking. (laughs) I need to to read this whole thing again because I forgot about Jimmy Olsen essentially becoming Doomsday. Yeah. For one issue. Uh, For for one issue for like five seconds. (laughs) Super compression. Yeah. A Um, million ideas. Also, the other thing, which I thought might appeal to Caitlin as well, Morrison is very much of the mindset. His like philosophy of Superman is like the trope of the Batman Superman relationship is always Superman has the power. Batman has the brains. Right. Morrison calls shenanigans on that. He's like, he's got a super brain. There's no way Batman is smarter than Superman. Okay. He's just not. Maybe there's a different way that Batman is smarter, like the detecting skills or whatever. But as far as like intelligence from a purely like STEM scientific aspect, there's no way Bruce can hang with Clark. He's got super brain. So 
Um, I guess. There's a lot of whack job, crazy, hard sci-fi type of stuff. You didn't get to the second trade. The second trade might have leaned into that a lot more. I don't know. There was a lot, um, especially in that first story with Lois and Superman. Mm-hmm. Um, there, he was getting into a lot of like science stuff, uh, which was fine. But I, I don't, I don't know. There's so many super geniuses in the DC world that I just feel like it, I'm. I just don't think I've never thought of Superman that way. And yeah, it was interesting, but um, Superman has to have a some deficiency because otherwise, Luther would never get the best of him. Does that make sense? Yes. <laughs> I'm reading the book. Do you want book. to just take a pause <laughs> while you read this? So it's the issue where Luther breaks out of prison, and Clark Kent is interviewing him, and Luther's like just totally oblivious to like anything. He's just talking completely arrogant out of his ass. Well, he's also time. this this Luther is really manic. Yes. Um, and I like Luther when he's super super rational. I think that's a it shows a more dangerous Luther. It was a new view of him. So it was an interesting read. I'm not going to say it wasn't, but it just, I didn't think it was the best storytelling I've seen with these characters. So an interesting thing that I want to talk about with this book is this book messed around and got one of like the most iconic pictures or illustrations of Superman ever. Okay. Which is the cover. All right. Which was issue one and on the hardcover that I gave Caitlin, which was, it is Superman sitting on a, sitting on a cloud, basically. Yep. Uh, knees up, sitting kind of almost childishly, and he's looking over his shoulder kind of at the camera with a sort of bemused expression on his face. This is based on an encounter that Grant Morrison, in his typical Grant Morrison batshit craziness, (laughs) had with Superman. I'm sorry, what? Had with Superman. So Grant Morrison was at Comic-Con. Yeah. And he was walking around at the end of the day or whatever, and he saw a cosplayer sitting on a bench in that exact pose. Right. Grant Morrison hadn't finished the story yet. He was still had ideas percolating. So he went over to this guy and talked to him for like half an hour. And this guy, in character. Wow. Grant Morrison just asked him questions about like what it's like to be Superman. And this guy answered him as Superman. And it like blew Grant Morrison's mind. And he considers like one of his like batshit crazy shamanistic moments where like the spirits of <laughs> stories like came and spoke to him through this guy. Uh... Um it real that conversation really kind of defined how he viewed the character of Superman and what how he wrote the character. So, full disclosure, I gave Caitlin both trades, which two hard covers, uh, covered all twelve issues. She got to the first. She did not get to the second one, which is a problem for me because all the things I love <laughs> the all the things I really remember about this about this book happen in the second trade. <laughs> So these are the things she has not read. So I may insist that she reads the second trade. There's like a moment. There's an issue which really shows him. Like I said, they're mostly single issues. One of the single issues, I think it's nine or ten, shows him basically like all the things he tries to do in a day. Right. Like he stops in at Candor and he talks to uh, talks to the citizens of Candor. And then he's running around Metropolis. And in the midst of all these like big things that he's doing, he hears about like a train delay. And he hears like a therapist talking to this girl about like. Regan, it's just the train's delayed. I'm going to be there. I promise. Like, blah, blah, blah. And then you turn the page and this girl is standing on a ledge, dropping her phone off the ledge. And then, boom, Superman's just there. I'll just show you the panels. Oh, okay. I'm looking at the panels. We're just, Superman just swoops in and tells her, your therapist was telling the truth. Like, he didn't abandon you. You're stronger than you think you are type of thing. And then hugs her. That's really sweet. Right? (laughs) 
And it's just like, that's the thing with Grant Morrison. Yes, he's batshit crazy and all the, like, everything is super compressed and maybe not will make sense all the time. But suddenly there'll be this, like, moment of just humanity that, like, and I'm not the world's biggest Superman guy. Right. But, like, I read that part and went, like, oh, my God, I love you, Superman. Please take care of us. <laughs> and there's a moment, spoilers for Caitlin as well, I guess, but I just I really want to talk about it. <laughs> there's a moment, the climax, the climactic showdown with Luther. I don't know if Luther learns that Superman is dying. Yeah. So, no, it. Well, Luther set him up to die. Oh, oh, right, he did. Yeah. Luther has killed Superman. Right. This is so why he's Luther so happy. Luther was working with, a, uh, working with some sort of sun eater being or something so luther ends up getting superpowers as well oh okay to to rival superman's that's actually really interesting because when and i did like the scenes where superman is clark kent and is interviewing luther and luther is very oblivious to him being clark kent i thought that was well done both visually and uh the way they were talking back and forth that's really interesting because uh, sort of a lot of what Luther is being egotistical about is saying, you know, he's got all the strength, but really what is he without the strength? Mm. Um, so I can see where Grant Morrison wanted to be like, well, if you both had the strength, if they both had Luther and Superman both had the strength, who would win that fight? Um, so it's interesting that he was sort of setting that up. So yes, the, the moment where it kind of tips and Superman knew this would happen he basically gets his ass kicked by luther for most of the issue right and then luther's brain is just going a mile a minute and he's seeing all the answer he's seeing the answers to all the problems in the world and he ultimately arrives at his senses are so like attuned he just breaks down he's like oh my god this is how he sees the this is how he sees it all the time every day like it's all just us in here together and we're Mm -hmm. all we've got yeah like that's i got chills just reading that (laughs) back to you like that's that one statement like made me understand superman more than like because i'm not a huge superman person you know i always i I defer to the boy scout side of things where like he's kind of boring he's a goody two-shoes you know whatever batman till i die (laughs) i well what i would have really liked because they do actually talk about in the first trade um they talk about his senses and he does uh lois make some comment about oh i can tell the power's fading i can't hear the trees in like british columbia or whatever or canada <laughs> or whatever. a random detail very morrison um, but i would have really liked to visually have a representation of how superman sees things mm, that's um fair. i think that would have been really neat and would have played to morrison's idea that that superman is sort of this he he doesn't just have strength he has all of his senses Mm -hmm. and and even when his his mental capacity they're all magnified right yes i think that would have been really neat as a representation um and would have made me a show don't tell moment sort of thing yeah um which morrison is very wordy um (laughs) yes i can't can't argue with that and sometimes i feel like as a comic book writer you have to step back and just have panels of visuals because it is such a visual medium. But I guess that's just not his style. You know, you've, got, you've got me thinking, did you ever read We Three? Which was the thing these two did, I think it was before? No. You didn't read We Three? There's, okay, there's a lot out there. No, no I'm not, was it, I didn't know. It was that We Three came out, the trade came out while we were both working at Major Canadian Retailer, and I couldn't remember if I shoved it in your hand. And I, I was going to say, unless you or Kaim shoved it in my hand, I probably didn't read it. Um, 
as we said last week, that was the homeward bound with, you know, cyborg animal testing. Right. Because they're animals, there's no, maybe I should, maybe I should hand you that one next or make <laughs> you read that. Because he can't get super wordy because they're animals. Yeah. And they can't talk. And a lot of it, Frank Quitely has to do a lot of the heavy lifting. So the panel organization and the way the pages are laid out are ridiculous. Um, and that's what I, that's what I like. I mean, we talked about, um, either last uh, last pod or the one before about um, because I don't I, or I didn't read older comic books mm-hmm. visually they're hard for me to take right um, because either I feel like they're really rough or they're the way they they use the comic book format I don't think is as interesting as they could have um, so I'm used to this sort of more interesting grown-up type of comic book or graphic novel um so coming to something like this where it it sort of is halfway in between can be difficult for me i really like to see experimentation when it comes to panels and i don't always find i get that in stuff like this and it's interesting you say that because when i was super into comics in like the mid aughts when I was like really back in both feet every Wednesday can't wait for Wednesday dropping 60 bucks a week so that's where your sandwich money went yeah (laughs) that's where Matt's sandwich money goes now interesting you say that when I was super deep into comics I would try I would read something really cool and I tried to like give them to a friend yeah um I remember my friend Melissa I tried to give it to her and this was the first time I ever heard that this she looked at it and she's like I don't know how to read this Right. And I'd never heard that before because it was just such a natural thing for me having grown up with comic books. Yeah, you know, you, you start with the word bubble and you, but yeah. when you actually look at the mechanics of it and when you read Understanding Comics, you realize all these things that you take for granted if you've been reading them your whole life. But if you're coming to comics for the first time, especially with a very like ambitious artist, yeah, there's a lot of like suggested visual information you have to assume or things like that or the way you have to process it in your brain um i have my very good friend ren hanman who is an author um i've tried to give her tons of comic books any time where they randomly bold words she can't do it <laughs> she just can't she it it drives her nuts so i have to find and i now don't see it right mm. i've done it for so long where i don't see it anymore or i'm just like i can ignore that aspect of it um so i i have to really look out for comic books where they haven't done this so i can give it to her to read (laughs) but yeah and i mean i don't want to say it's i don't want to assume it's a gender thing but i just i'd never heard that before it's not exactly what you're saying but it's kind of similar i just i guess i find when you're not doing interesting things with panels, I find it really boring. Hmm. So with a combination with a story that's not really pulling my attention, and it's not the art, but almost the format of the comic book that's not really pulling my attention, mm-hmm. I put this down quite a few times. Meanwhile, the ones you gave me from Kayam, I like, <laughs> like bore through like so fast. Lame image books I'm never going to read. <laughs> They were really good, actually. So, yeah, I just, that was interesting. And I really tried, again, to um, sort of get Wonder Woman out of my head so I could give this a fresh start. And like I said, there were some things I really liked about it. Um, But there was a lot of, he was almost, I almost feel, I'm going to say showing off. That it's like I don't think that's an unfair. <laughs> okay, good. I was gonna say he's kind of showing off with all this knowledge, right? Yeah. All these random esoteric. He's trying to pack as many ideas as he possibly can. Into yeah, because like, to his mind, that is what like Lee and Kirby Fantastic Four was. 
like 60s golden age silver yeah. age comics that's what he feels that's what he remembers from those comics right it's just like pop in on reed richards before the actual adventure began and he was doing some batshit crazy thing that made no sense <laughs> and it was just like glossed over like it was just tossed off so that's right. what he's trying to do with this again contemporary reader that might go like oh what what what's what's happening yeah exactly that's what i mean when i said i wasn't really welcome there it wasn't like hey we're going i mean you don't have to hold me by the hand um you can do crazy weird stuff but having characters show up that it's like oh superman always sees these people but i've never seen them before makes it makes it so that it's um the the process of reading the comic book is much more halting than say something that is new or at least where they've done something new with the characters mm. like red sun one of my favorite comic books yeah mark miller <laughs> Wow. Um, I really liked it uh, because maybe it's because it's something different. It still had a lot of the same characters, but put into a different world. Um, Was there any sodomy in it? Uh, wow. Not that I remember. Oh, good for Mark Miller. He's, he's really branching out. <laughs> Someone doesn't like Mark Miller. You're a pox on the industry. Wow. Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead and get your Civil War check, though. Good for you really one good idea you ever had really <laughs> angry about mark miller <laughs> fucking hate you mark miller <laughs> apparently do you want to talk about this uh, i feel like you need no to ever ever since ever since you did that shit in the ultimates where like hank pym sprayed bug spray at the wasp i don't know what you're talking about yeah, good so. don't you want to talk about shit i will never give you <laughs> those they make him very angry yeah you, you can come at me for that one friends really angry down with Mark Miller, <laughs> Well, let's let's move this along. Your your breaking hearts, I'm sure. I can hear the sounds of of the sobs, <laughs> the, ner the nerd tears, stinging the eyes of our listeners. And you no, know I'm gonna take. Uh, I'm gonna look at uh, the. Oh, I'm second making trade. you read the okay, second trade. I'm gonna read the second trade, and we'll I'll come back next week and see if maybe my opinions changed a little bit. But for now. Yeah, it's got to get higher than Wonder Woman at least. Uh, yes, of course. At it, least give us that. Oh yeah, it wasn't it wasn't terrible, and it wasn't sexist, <laughs> and it wasn't badly written. It just wasn't um, super fascinating. It wasn't super interesting. So I'm gonna say it's a six. Okay. Um, and it's an eight for anyone who knows a lot about Superman, <laughs> <laughs> like a lot about Superman, and maybe he's read some of other. Uh, some other things of his and would be interested in seeing his take on Superman. Yeah, I mean, there's probably something to be said about the fact that, like, I have, like, by the time I read this, I had, like, 15 years of Grant Morrison yeah, experience. Yeah, I think that is really important. And not even just Grant Morrison experience, but comic book experience. And I'm not, like, I can't even hang with him all the time. Like I said, The Invisibles, I was like, nope. That's, like, <laughs> that's like super peyote trip comic book. And he went around the time he was writing this, he came back and tried to resurrect, you'll recall, the Seven Soldiers of Victory from JL, JLU or Nathan Fillion played the cowboy. Yeah. Um, <gasps> he tried to do a new version of that, of the Seven Soldiers of Victory. And that wasn't very good? Again, it was just weird. You want to talk about like deep diving? Like you better know your like weird no. 1960s toss off dc characters because i like, like weird i just there when when someone's like all this random knowledge from things you have no idea about it gets hard to follow <laughs> like the, the example i always say like i remember i was at a bookstore 
with my then girlfriend and Grant Morrison wrote a book called Final Crisis, which was basically if we're going to try to just you want to give me the elevator, want me to give you the elevator pitch. It is taking the idea of Jack Kirby's 1970s New Gods, which is Dark Side, Mr. Miracle, Big Barda, that whole kind of like right. universe. Those characters are always supposed to be cyclical. They're supposed to be old gods and new gods. And then the new gods die and they become the old gods and new ones take their place. Right. He was basically trying to like wrap that up. He was trying to finish Kirby Ooh. with this. The barrier to entry on this, and basically it ends, the cover is like a Pieta type image of Superman cradling like the skeleton of Batman. And my then girlfriend said, why is Batman dead? (laughs) And I started to try to tell her what happened in this book with my like intermediate knowledge of that type of stuff. Yeah. Bless her heart. She listened, but her face looked like (laughs) I would rather be having my legs run over with a lawnmower than continue this conversation. (laughs) Bless her heart for listening. Thank you, Nicole. But yeah, I am not like Morrison is deep dive for a lot of his shit. Arkham Asylum, things like that, where the barrier to entry is a little lower. I think he works better. But I've been like, that's the stuff I was reading for a decade before I got to something like All-Star Superman or Wonder Woman. Like I knew how he operated. So like, okay, sorry to right, We're going to get past this. But so Jimmy Olsen (laughs) in All-Star Superman, which I just read, he like... You can make it so that Jimmy Olsen, like he he does make it that Jimmy Olsen writes this crazy column every week or whatever. Um, fine. And, and, but Jimmy, but it's, it's like a whole bunch of things all at once. It's not just that Jimmy Olsen writes this crazy comic book or sorry, comic book, crazy column every week. It's also that Jimmy Olsen is like the worst dressed man second year in a row. And for some reason, Jimmy Olsen's wearing women's clothing and like, he, he, it's, it's, he, he's doing the, the wacky human interest story of the week type of thing. Yeah. But it's sort of like, it's experiential, isn't it? That's why he is the, the guy with the Technicolor dream coat. That's why he gets yeah, his job for a week. Or yeah. Whatever. And it's just, but it, there's just so many layers of stuff. That aren't explained? Like, one or two things? Yeah, I can let it go. But, like, all Maybe of these not things. super compressing that many things. Yeah, exactly. And, like, yeah, I, I kind of know about Jimmy's Superwatch. Great. I can follow along there. But then, like, what is this basement super gravity thing? Like, I would like a little bit more explanation. So, yeah, that, that kind of stuff is what... And I am sure you me. want to talk about, like, dude nerds who want to learn about stuff. I am sure there is a website that annotates every panel of this freaking book. I do not know. I haven't looked for it because... But it's there on the internet. Probably. Somewhere. This is, like, my equivalent of, like, my response to this is, like, your response to everything. It's like, I just liked it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> stuff just whizzed by me and I didn't care. Anyway, we have other things to talk about. We so, do. So, six with an asterisk. We will see what Caitlin thinks after she reads the second one. Yeah. So now we're moving on. So, Jordan. Yes. How did you like Dread? Dread. I'm making my scowl face. <laughs> it's a pretty good scowl face. Not as um, good as Carl Urban's, but. I, his, I gave him a 7.5 for the scowl. Specifically for the scowl? His scowl. His scowl. Earned his, a 7.5. You have to have the scowl to be Dread. Yeah. And I'm not going to say the previous attempt to make a Judge Dredd movie with Stallone is anywhere near as good as this was. Stallone had the scale. I am the law. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay, well, first things first. Before who we is get... Judge Dredd? Caitlin, tell us who he is. Okay, so, so this is the 2012 Dredd. It was directed by Pete Travis, not Rita... 
Travis, as I seem to have written. Caitlin scrolls really fast when she writes shit. Down. Yeah. So that's uh, Pete Travis. It's obviously based on the Judge Dredd comics by John Wagner and Carlos Ezquera. 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 Judge Dredd is part of the police force, basically, of a super awful future where they have these post-apocalyptic right? very post-apocalyptic i think they call it like the nightmare world or something like hell world or something it's very like that. dystopian you kids all like dystopia now right yeah they do they love the, their dystopian man stuff. do they basically the world is crazily overpopulated and they have these giant apartment blocks because all the people have been pushed into higher density areas yeah, right yeah that's right mega cities uh, mega cities them. yeah and the judges who are the police force are judge, jury, and executioner. Efficiency. Efficiency. Don't have time. And uh, they take care of all this mass population where there's tons and tons of crime. And uh, I, I think that's that's all you really need to know for this film. That's pretty much all they give you. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So my experience with Judge Dredd as a comic book person, you'll probably not be surprised to hear this because he originates in Britain. Never really gave him a lot of time. Yeah, and, and um, and a lot of people know Judge Dredd really from the the movie from 1995, which obviously starred Sylvester Stallone as Judge Dredd. And that's basically where my knowledge of the character came from. Yeah. I didn't really buy the comics. I had friends who did, because we will recall Brian Bolland, Boland from who did The Killing Joke when we talked about him a few weeks ago. He kind of cut his teeth and got his start doing Judge Dredd comics. Yeah. So I have friends who bought just for his artwork um, a lot of old. 2000 AD, is that where he came from? Is that the publisher? I for think him? so. I think that's I think it was right. 2000 AD. Most British comic writers cut their teeth on, on 2000 AD. So they would buy those comics. I don't know if they ever really read them. I bought a Batman crossover that DC put out, Batman George Judd. That's Amazing. <laughs> Simon Bisley of Lobo fame uh, did the painted artwork for. Um, and when you're 12, Simon Bisley was the shit. <laughs> um, everything looked like a Iron Maiden cover. <laughs> um, so I don't really have a whole lot of experience uh, with the character. I don't have any affinity for it or disaffinity for it. And, that, and really, that's not important for no. this film. The film stars Carl Urban, Olivia Thurlby, and Lena Headey. Cersei Lannister. Yes, who is awesome. As what? What is her name? Something. Mama. Mama, but it's like Madeline Madrigal or something. Or I just know her as Mama. It's, it's an abbreviation of her name, but yes, yeah. the the Mama clan. She is a. She's essentially a crime boss in this one. So basically, plotline. Uh, the movie's The Raid. If you've ever seen The Raid, which I knew about before this movie, I haven't seen it. Nobody. Ri- the Raid is an Indonesian movie that uh, I, I think has kind of been like blown up a little bit as like you couldn't make this movie in America. Basically, they just hired stuntmen and have th- had them be the actors. Yeah. So it's like super action-packed and is the same story. Everybody likes to say, and I even like to say when Caitlin brought this to me, it's like, you've never seen Dread? I'm like, I, I saw the raid. Do I need to see Dread? <laughs> Basically, what happens is you have your heroes or the police or what have you. Essentially, it all takes place in one apartment building. It's been The apartment building has been locked down by yes. the Mama Clan because they want to get rid of these judges. Yes. And they have to make their way up to the top yes. of the apartment building. And the raid is very similar. It is a SWAT team that goes into a drug house apartment complex type of thing um, that's owned. It's an apartment complex that's basically controlled by a drug gang. And they get locked in there. And moving down is no longer an option. So they have to move up. And the entire apartment building is trying to kill them as well. Yeah. It's a smaller scale than Dread is. I did look into this because they are very similar. But I mean, at the same time, they're just diehard. Like, 
Oh yeah. Die Hard had the Every, same. Really, you can argue any action <laughs> any movie action is, is Die Hard. As far as you're like one or two lone heroes fighting their way through a large structure, like that's Die Hard. Yeah. So um, it's also Training Day. <laughs> it's Die okay. Hard and Training Day. <laughs> die Hard and Training Day. Because uh, the only thing I, the other only thing I ever remembered about Judge Dredd is he's usually partnered with a character named Anderson, who in this movie is played by Olivia Thrillby. Great name. Yeah. Thrillby, who is psychic. Because of future nuclear radiation reasons. Because um, of future. <laughs> because, because science. Because janky science. Uh, she is psychic. And she's basically going to be evaluated by dread as to she has applied to be a judge. She barely passed. Yes, she barely. She she doesn't get great stores, uh, scores on her training, but she is the best psychic they've ever encountered. Right. She's the strongest psychic they've ever encountered. So dread's boss wants dread to kind of like take her out and assess her they end up responding to a homicide call at the peach trees apartment complex which is super apartment complex. super complex which is controlled by the mama clan when they get there they're taking one of mama's lieutenants they're there to investigate a homicide nothing to do with the drug distribution that's running out of there but when they are about to take one of mama's lieutenants for interrogation fearing that he will snitch mama locks the entire building down and sets essentially everyone living there Against. After Dredd and Anderson. Yeah. And that's where sort of the story really begins. And, and then they make their Chaos way ensues. Yeah. So, Jordan, what did you think? It was really good. It's become one of my favorite movies, so I'm really happy you liked it. Listen, do you know why this was good? Uh, I know why I think this was good. Why do you think this was good? I have a big smiley face <laughs> in my notes. Yeah. Next to the all caps phrase, so short. Yeah. You guys, this movie is 90 minutes long. Yeah. Awesome. If this movie had been two hours and 30 minutes long, I probably would have hated it. Really? I may not hate it, but I would. The fact that it keeps that clip yeah, really sets it apart from a lot of other action movies. So there are a couple movies in my roster that are basically movies that I watch anytime I just need something familiar. And it is the newest part of that roster and there's not very much on that roster i mean there's maybe like five films mm. but i loved this film so much because it was fast and it's fun and there's lots of gore and lots of bullets flying everywhere and i really like that i did I, I did have a point in my notes that the the gore looks cheap but we're on a budget here so i'm gonna like one of the reasons why these movies take place in one location is to save money yeah like, this was a I think I read it was a British South African co-production. Like it was a really weird kind of amalgam of financing that went into this movie. Yeah. No real stars to speak of. I mean, I don't know when Lena Headey filmed it. She's probably the biggest name in it. I uh, guess I guess McCoy is Carl Urban's pretty big. Yeah, when Matt, who also loves this movie, yeah, told me that Carl Urban was in it. I was like, Keith Urban's in it. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> really branching out from his his country music career. Um, no, he had to explain to me that that's McCoy from. And, I mean, true to the character, he never takes the helmet off, so why would you ever even know who he is? Well, there's actually funny stories about... There are two funny stories uh, regarding um, this film. Mm. So the first one is when they were getting people... They'd really... They'd thought of Carl Urban to do Dread, but yes. their big thing 
um, for the producer and the director was that he keeps the helmet on. And they were like, it's going to be really hard to get someone to absolutely keep the helmet on. We might have to fight them on this. But we have it in the contract that they have to keep the helmet on. And the first thing... Oh, they thought thing, the producers might push back on that or people might push back on it. Th- they thought the stars. It's really hard to get oh, someone to right, star right. in a film where you'd never, never see, see their, their face. face. And the first thing Carl Urban said when they came into the room was, I have to keep the helmet on the whole time. Absolutely keep the helmet on. Because that's always been the character. He's yes. like The thing about Dredd specifically, and I don't know the character that well, and they hint at this, which I like. They hint at it, but it never comes up again. And I, I appreciated that as well when Dredd's boss is kind of like, when Dredd's like, you know, why why is Anderson even here? If she didn't, if she wasn't that good, get her out of here. Mm-hmm. And Dredd's boss from behind like, two-way glass or whatever is asking anderson like how many people are watching you and she says there's two people there and tell me about the person i'm with and she starts kind of like reading dread yeah he's like he's very he's like there's anger there's also control there's something behind the control and then dread's boss is like okay that's enough yeah never gets back to that there's no like bonding moment where like <laughs> dread weebly tells his life story to anderson yeah. when there's like a quiet moment behind you know some they're hiding behind some debris or something like and i appreciated that the film was written by alex garland which i was not expecting alex garland wrote the beach he wrote a bunch of novels he wrote 28 days later like he's he's a serious writer and i was like i think that has a lot to do as well with and why it's so good i think they what they did is they actually got i think they got john wagner in to help them write Mm. this script i think that's what i heard possibly and one of the things he was doing when they they saw him was he was uh crossing lines out of the script for dread he's like dread talks less and then then one day when keith urban was looking at the script he was doing something carl urban oh shit now (laughs) i shouldn't have put that in shouldn't have done that it's gonna be in my brain all the time now um when carl urban was taking a look at the script they he was taking a a pen to it and they were saying what are you doing he's like uh judge dread talks less (laughs) and they just striking out lines from the script um so they really did i think it says something that they at least tried their best to keep the character like the comics um and i like that it's futurist but not overly so yeah there are no hover cars they're like some drones flying around yeah that's that's fine i i love the gun i love the (laughs) yeah i love the whole like calling out the different ammunitions in the gun that's a nice little conceit or the fact that they're like you know dna secured so you can't uh you can't just grab a cop's gun and try and use it that comes up later I love the bit where after they escaped like the Gatling gun assault yeah. from Mama, they go to search her like top lieutenant goes to search for Dread. Dread like shoots him in the leg and then walks over, throws him over a balcony and <laughs> just glares at Mama. And they're just like looking across this courtyard at each other. My only thing, why Thrillby got to show her tits. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess, but... It's a moment where the person, uh, they, the, the lieutenant, they are also trying to now escort out of the apartment complex, uh, which was a nice conceit as well. It's not just them. They're trying to take this handcuffed guy along with them and keep him alive the entire time. It's like the worst escort mission ever. Played by uh, Wood Harris, yes. a.k.a. Avon Barksdale, for all my wireheads out there. He's like prodding her about her psychic abilities. He's like, oh, what am I thinking about right now? And it flashes to like, and he's thinking about fucking her. And you could have shot that in a way that she didn't have to have her tits out, but she had her tits out. Well, that's one of those things that it's like every film I watch, there's something (laughs) wrong with it. So sometimes I have to just like... You can let that go? Well, sometimes I have to. Oh, and that was the thing. The only thing, they didn't quite do it too much, 
but they skirted real up close to the edge was that Guy Ritchie slow-mo style thing. I understand the drug slows down time, you know, whatever. Yeah. But that kind of super stylized, like, bringing up the gun in slow motion, boof, and then the bullet comes out slow motion type of thing. Like, they almost did it too much. Right. They almost went to the well one time too many, but just barely held it together. I say I always love those scenes. They were so pretty. <laughs> so pretty. All the blood going everywhere Sorry, so was so pretty. pretty. So pretty. Yeah, no, it was super fun because it was short. Like, it's just, here is your setup. Here we are now in it. Yeah. And you're like, when it's over, you're like, seriously? Like, that was it? Like, it just went that fast? Yeah. Super cool. And if you've seen this movie, uh, watch The Raid and The Raid 2. <laughs> and if you've seen The Raid or The Raid 2, you watch this movie too. And there's a lot there that they could continue to work with, which is interesting because Kate Anderson is not the only psychic in the world, apparently. Also, Caitlin handed this to me two days before. That's right. Before there was an announcement that there might be Dread 2. Carl Urban heavily petitioning. And also... Carl the, Urban is ouchie. Well, it started with like the geek community going, Amazon or Netflix, please make us a Dread 2. We'd really like a Dread 2. And then Carl Urban was like, I would also like a Dread 2. <laughs> you know who else would like a Dread 2? Me. And I would also like to be in Dread 2. Um, and I think a lot of people were really happy with his performance and the fact he didn't take the helmet off. The helmet looked a little big at times. What? I feel like the helmet looked a little big at times. It's a little little wobbly. Now you're finding things to, <laughs> to be... No, that was one of the first things I noticed. You didn't bring it up first. I was like, the helmet and the helmet looked a little, a little wobbly. That and the scowl, the the scowl, the the B plus on the scowl and the helmet looking a, a little bit, just a smidge too big. Those are the two things. Uh, My two critiques about about Carl Urban. Otherwise, no, yeah, he was great. Yeah, and I, I mean, I would love a dread too. Like I said, it's it's become one of my favorite movies. It's morphing into isn't Carl isn't Carl Urban like fighting for a series? Isn't that what he's trying to get now? He'd like to get um, a series going. I think people had talked about it. I think it it's probably. I think it's better suited to a. I was going to say I think I think it's better suited to a movie, and I think they're they're more likely to just do a second movie than a whole series. Keep it ninety minutes. Yeah, yeah. Just keep it short. Boom, short and, and sweet. Um, yeah, so I mean, if you're if you if you're a fan of the character and you've never seen it and you still have the bad taste of that Stallone business, which in is your mouth, funny because I've never seen that movie. I I I pretty much all but wiped it from my brain. Just the image of him going, like that's, <laughs> the, that's the only thing that remains. That's what, that's what I got shown when I had said I hadn't seen that movie. They immediately were like, "Oh my god, we need to show you this clip." It's like, oh yeah, that's that has now entered the nerd consciousness. Yeah, couldn't tell you anything else about that movie. He took the helmet off a lot. Yeah, I think he only has the helmet on for like ten minutes. Stops. Takes the helmet off a lot. Yeah, like we got to get our Judge Doom story. Like Judge yeah. Doom is like the Joker for Judge Dredd. Yeah. Yeah, you got to you got you to give me that story. So give me give me ninety minutes of that Netflix. Come on, you're just handing money out to everywhere. Also, I would like to see Anderson again. She was awesome. I, she was. I mean, really, you had money for the ranch, but you don't want to. <laughs> you don't want to give me a second Dread movie. Come on. Netflix. Also, they had money for. The Fuller House, or whatever it's called. <laughs> Seriously, we know you have money, Netflix. We've seen what you've done. Give us another dread. Uh, so yeah, kick punches. I mean, it's easily an eight. Ooh. I came out of it like because listen, this has been a very like packed. This this has been and will continue to be a very packed forty eight to thirty six hours for me. Yeah, like I, I had a whole pocket square issue yesterday because <laughs> a I, huge pocket square issue. I have, I have a wedding on. On Saturday. And I had convinced him he didn't need one. And then Kozak, I am calling you out, 
made him freak out. Our good friend and new friend of the podcast, Chris Kozak, who is also will be attending this wedding. Here's the thing. I went to a wedding in September, and it was a very big deal, not because of the person involved, although it was also because of the person involved, but because I had a bunch of work involved. Like, I hadn't worn my suit in years, um, and it was super baggy, and I didn't like how it looked, so like I got my suit tailored. I did all this, like, put in all this effort to look good, so I knew this wedding was coming. This wedding has nothing to do with the people involved, but there hasn't been any work involved for me. So I realized last week, oh shit, that's next Saturday. If I don't set a bunch of alarms, nightworking moron will probably just sleep right through Saturday and forget <laughs> to go. So that means I'm thinking about what to wear. And because I'm a dandy, I can't just wear the same thing I wore to the oh, previous wedding. Of course wedding. not. Meanwhile, I've worn the exact same <laughs> black dress to every funeral, wedding, and special event in the I last ha- three years. I have to straight, you know, Marge Simpson Chanel suit this thing and get as many <laughs> different variations out of it as I can, which mercifully is easier when you're a dude. You just switch the tie out. Like, yeah. You can just switch the tie out. That's all you have to do. So I had a new tie, but I didn't have a pocket square for this tie. And it's a wedding, and I like to be dandy. Oh, I like to have a little pocket. Oh, no. He did not have a pocket I like square. To have a, I like to have a little flash. I like to have a little flair. And I was talking myself down from it because I had to work overnights. And because the wedding's on Saturday, we couldn't record on Saturday this week. Caitlin can't record on Sunday, so we're doing it on Friday. And I just time, time was like crunching down. And I also had to watch Dread, which is the point of all this, is that by the time I had run down to Moore's and back downtown to get a pocket square, I actually ended up buying two. They were buy one, get one. Oh, my God. I'm going to return one next week. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I like the style, but the color was off. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to come home. I'm going to hit no frills on the way home just for like some cereal and like some some milk and a bag of Doritos to shovel in my face while I watch Dread. Got home, threw like my drawers and underwear, drawers are underwear, drawers and socks in the wash, came upstairs, started watching Dread, shoveling Doritos, threw it in the dryer, came back up, finished watching Dread. Like the fact that Dread was 90 minutes. Yeah. That was like, that that's the reason why I was so like positive about it. <laughs> Like, Dread, you can do no wrong. You are fitting right into the maximum window I have for you right now. So take uh, a lesson, Marvel. Buy your pocket squares early. <laughs> that is the lesson. Not about making your not about making your movies shorter. Just better planning your pocket square purchasing. This is a dope pocket square though. I believe you. Yeah. I'm look good. I got good socks too. I might even be too dandyish for this wedding. Is there is there a thing as too dandyish? No, <laughs> no, there isn't. No, there isn't. God, I love being a dandy. You would never know it to look at me wearing threadbare jogging pants and a shirt that says "Fatty says dance" <laughs> as we record this. <laughs> if you see me on Saturday, transformative people, I'm telling you, pocket squares. It's all about the pocket squares. I think that's the end of the show. I think it is. Uh, we've got, uh, despite our best intentions, every time, every time I think we're going to be brief, I look at that ticker and it's like one hour and 53 minutes. So much editing. So much editing. Uh, it's just cause we have such a good time. We do. And we hope you enjoyed the good time. <laughs> that's really what we hope. The people seem to. Yeah. Uh, well that's it for us and, uh, we'll see you next week. Yes. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, as we said at the top of the show, all the ways you can listen to us or get in touch with us. If you would like to yell at me personally. Uh, you can do that on Twitter at Jordan underscore Ferguson. If you want to yell at Caitlin. You can't because I don't exist online. Tethered swimming. You can't do it. What's tethered swimming? <laughs> it's a Simpsons joke. Oh. It's like where Bart's going to be late for gym class setup. And it's like, if you don't get there early, it's going to be TS for you. Which you think means tough shit. Yeah. But it's actually tethered swimming. <laughs> and it's Ralph in a pool with a rope tied to him to the dock. <laughs> He's just swimming going, I don't feel right. <laughs> 
It's possibly easily a top five Simpsons bit for me. <laughs> Tethered swimming. Tethered swimming. So yes, thank you so much for joining us, friends. That has been the episode 14 of The Geek Down. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you again back here next week. See you next week. Bye. Limitor. Inside engineering, engineering humor. We have a peak limiter song. <laughs> do it again. Do it again. Peak limiter. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a monster magnet B side. <laughs>